Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Episode 9 of Series 7 of This Week in Startups Australia. Scaling is the hardest task facing a startup entrepreneur, harder than getting started, Harder than getting to an MVP, harder than getting investment. Scaling is hard. But there are any number of startups who have scaled successfully, including a few who have already been on Twista, such as Canva, Envato, Catapult, and Airtasker. What can we learn from their successes in scaling? That's our theme for Series 7. As we learned in our previous episode, scaling means different things at different points in an entrepreneur's career. To flesh out that understanding, we're doing a deep dive into the work of two creative entrepreneurs, one who's just getting started and another who's been at it for more than 20 years. Recorded live at the Remix Festival at UTS in Sydney, we'll learn what it takes to survive and scale as a creative entrepreneur. We're turning two points into a line of growth on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Are you a small business looking to streamline costs on shipping and postage? Simplify and save with SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. Visit them online at pitneybowes.com au slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology Sydney, driving the next generation of entrepreneurs. UTS is equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build a foundation for a successful career. To find out more about entrepreneurship at UTS and the UTS Startups Program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. And... This Week at Startups Australia is also sponsored by .co, the domain name for innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, and creators growing extraordinary ideas online. Your brand wasn't built to blend in, so don't let it. Get a .co domain that's as unique and memorable as your one-of-a-kind idea. Find your .co today at go.co slash twista and take advantage of freebies, tools, and resources to get your idea off the ground. That's www.go.co slash twista. Monday afternoon, I heard a really interesting story from a startup. I've been mentoring this startup. It's in its very early stages. And they were telling me, confessing really, that they'd sabotaged their own sales channel because they were making continuous small adjustments to the Google ads that they were buying and the Facebook ads that they were buying. And what they didn't know is that every time it did this, it reset all of the learning that those systems do, because they're all built to learn, so that they know how to target those ads to potential customers. And they kept on wondering why their sales numbers were just falling off. And they kept on making these small adjustments, thinking if they made another adjustment, it would get better and it'd get better. 
and they had no idea what was going on. And finally, it dawned on them that every time they made a change, it reset everything, and this is why no sales were coming in. Now, if those entrepreneurs had spent a little bit of money and hired someone who knew the tricks of the trade, they would have avoided what turned out to be a very expensive six-week mistake. And that little story tells you about why we're here today and what this whole panel is on about. My name is Mark Pesci. I'm an inventor, an educator, podcaster, creative tech entrepreneur. The journal, uh, the journal, the journey of a creative tech entrepreneur is a constant juggle between art and practicality. And it's deeply rewarding, but it's very rarely easy. So we're here today to take a look at what we don't know, what we should know, and what we can learn along the way. And because we can learn more from a line than from a point, we're going to be in conversation with two creative entrepreneurs who are at very different stages on their own journey. So join us as we go on a journey into the unknown unknowns. Now, this afternoon's panel is part of TechX, which is a series of events developed for the Creative Industries Knowledge Hub. That's a partnership between UTS and the New South Wales Government Department of Industry. Okay, let's dive in. So, to my immediate left, Simone Chua. Hello. You are in your opening years as a creative entrepreneur. You are an internationally known contemporary installation artist. And a year and a half after graduating from here, undergraduate, mm. you became co-founder and principal of a design firm known as Amigo and Amigo. Yes. And next to Simone is Vivica Wiley. We will get to Vivica. No, that's our, you know, yeah, we'll, get to, we'll get to Vivica. We'll, we'll, we'll come back. But Simone, tell us about Amigo and Amigo. What do you do? So we are a, a group of, um, you could call us creative entrepreneurs, um, artists, designers, engineers, um, and our whole purpose is to create large-scale public artworks. Um, and the reason why we love this medium is it's accessible um, and it's interactive um, and we get to invade public spaces and bring people together. Um, so that's exactly what we do. Yeah. Okay, so do you want to show us some of your work yeah. just to sort of go through all of it? I think there's a piece oh, of so it up that, there. Oh, so that guy up there is named Octopoda. And um, the process of getting to make these insane things is really fun. So uh, Willoughby Council came to us and were like, we want to do a vivid steampunk theme installation. And so we came up with the idea of creating a steampunk octopus that's come out of the harbour of Sydney that's here to um, invade people with music. So on the end of his tentacles, he has uh, interactive drums, and when you play the drums, his tentacles light up. Um, and this work has travelled all throughout Asia. Um, it was just an exhibition in Beijing, and it's coming back to Sydney for another show. Um, yeah, so it's a... It's fun. We get to come up with ideas and then people crazy enough to fund them. <laughs> okay, so what didn't you know when you said, oh, we're going to do this design studio, it's all going to be amazing. What didn't you know I didn't that know you wished you'd known? 
I didn't know anything. So I, like, literally came out of university wide-eyed and naive. Um, I'd worked in hospitality. I've never worked in a corporate um, commercial environment. Um, um, never, you know, never worked in those spaces. Um, never worked in a creative house. Um, so um, I think, like, the first four years... We've been doing this for seven years. The first four years, we didn't earn anything. We were all working, volunteering, making art for free um, in, and jumping from warehouse to warehouse around the Sydney's inner west. How were you keeping body and soul together? Were you, did you have other jobs on the side yeah, so that you so could support the studio? Yeah, so we'd work in restaurants or whatever and to earn a bit of money and then we'd spend it all on art and we'd right. often you know, use resources like reverse garbage or you know, other places to get cheap materials. Um, so that's, yes, we started like that. But I think it's really important to do that. Like, you've got to cut your teeth. Yeah. You've got to make a lot of mistakes. And we made every mistake. I started working with, you know, big, hard-nosed corporate people. And we had never done that before. And you're just literally winging it as you're going along. But it's, it's those, it's the community around you that supports you that's really important in navigating through those spaces. And then you... You get exposed to different things the hard way, and that's how that's how you learn. I mean, you keep on talking about that. Were there? You say you made mistakes. Were there any expensive mistakes along that journey? Um, when you have no money, you can't make expensive <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> well, or expensive in terms of time, though, as well, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I the best thing I did was start sharing studio spaces with people who are really good at what they do. Um, in terms of makers, and so you learn off them, and mm. then they, and, and then starting to outsource, just like your example, it's so important to bring people on board into your projects who are really good. How, how do you, because, I mean, one of the desires is to learn everything, right? As a creative, you want to learn, yeah. even if you don't master everything, so yeah. how do you balance that desire? So, well, actually, I want to try to do everything myself with, with the fact that actually that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's, yes, you've got to let go of control. That's the key, yeah. Um, um, and, and just try and, and, and collaborate and keep conversations open, I think. Right. And I think I've learned that often people do things differently, and we all know this, do things differently, but they do it better, and, and that's... It's good to give it to someone who can do it better. Yeah. So now that you're right and it's established, and so I guess you said that you spent the first four years doing it for free and then for the last three years, presumably you've been making some money out yes, of this, yes. which, is, which is good. Did you have the structures in place? Had you learned enough about how to run a business, not just how to run the studio, yeah. but how to run a business but that by the time the money came in, you understood how to work with it as a business? Yeah, so I started thinking... Like, so we're artists, right? But start thinking like a small business. So um, had a business mentor come in and teach us how to like write uh -huh. a business plan and, mm -hmm. you know, make budgets and do finance. And that's, that's how we, it, that really helped in setting goals as well. So did you resist that as thinking, well, that's not art? Or did you, go, did you embrace that as saying, actually, this is part of being a successful studio? Yeah, I embraced it because I knew it was a means to be able to make more work. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Money it's, is just a means, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a means to provide yeah. the enablement to be able to do what yeah. you want. All right. How much of your time, because this is always, and it's one of my big battles, how much of your time do you spend dancing for work, you know, pitching, investigating so conversations versus actually making work, and how do you sort of set your dial around that? Yeah, that's, that is something I actually wanted to ask 
everyone. That's my, we'll, my, what we'll, I'm we'll trying to say. We'll ask all of you here. this, because the last part of this, we're going to come to you and actually ask you to solve some of the problems, but also to bring your own problems. So that's good. I, I have not mastered that. That is... Well, does anyone ever master oh, that? But how does it feel to you? How do you, how do you know when you're in the mix around that? It's, it's, I'm, I'm, my goal now um, is to master carving out time. Yeah. So to master... Because when you're trying to be inspired and come up with new ideas, and our whole ethos is to do new work and, 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 and create things that people haven't seen before, and to get in that headspace, I can't be like answering a logistics question or, you know, doing accounting. And, and I haven't mastered the breakup of time with that. I think that's something that I'm, I'm sort of seeking at the moment. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that larger question of multitasking and a distracting culture, right? Yeah. So, you know, your artists are more at the coal face of that because yeah. they require more creative yeah. space than most other tasks that we do, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. What's the coal face of what you're learning right now? What's the most important skill that you're trying to give yourself right now? Well, that one. Um, and also, um, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been approached with a few collaborative projects at the moment, and I've spent seven years um, sort of cutting our teeth and learning the skills and proving that we can deliver big projects. And, but this is all under the umbrella of a client, you know, a client's requirements, and that can be quite restrictive. So now I'm like, I don't want a client. I just want to have a, like, we just want to do our own work, and we want to... Um, How will you pay for that, though? How does don't that know yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's another thing I'm seeking. How do you if pay for that? If any of you that? have any clues yeah, how do when you we get, get to the question and answer ha- part. To have fun. No, yeah, so that's... that's All right. To, trying to be able to... Because you, to do good work, you need to spend time on research and development and you need to explore things. So how can you get money to do that? Yeah. And that's a new thing. That's where I'm at at the moment. And bringing on other experts to... Bring, like working with fantastic musicians and sound engineers and coders and all these people in the one space. And bring, so being the, the, the facilitator for all of the talent. Yeah, yeah. What's, I mean, this is where you are right now. Where do you think you're going to need to be next? What's the, not just the skill you're going to need to be able to do this now, but what's the skill you're going to need to be able to do what you want to do three or five years from now? Can you see that yet? Can you see what that looks like? It's a moving target. I think, um, trying to I think our team has finally culminated there's five of us and we all have our really strong skills so harnessing that um I think it's going to be a facilitation role for me um five years from now I've I've just drained my bank account and got a big warehouse in Marrickfield and going to turn it into a creative arts space and a place for people to come um so I'm hoping that that will launch I guess a community in Sydney so that's what I would like to start building on Yeah, a creative community. Are you a small business or small e-tailer looking for better ways to streamline costs and improve efficiency? Introducing SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes, the complete office sending solution that makes it easy for small businesses and e-tailers to consistently choose the right sending option for each parcel or letter. 
SendPro Plus provides shipping options and prices, prints labels, and tracks parcels. An integrated, accurate scale helps assign the correct parcel label or postage. SendPro Plus makes sending simple with automatic rate updates and a shared address book across available carriers. Pitney Bowes brings shipping, mailing, and tracking capabilities to businesses looking to simplify their shipping and mailing while reducing costs. Simplify and save with SendPro Plus today and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. To learn more, visit pitneybowes.com au slash twista. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Viv Wiley. Viv is an inventor, 20-year pioneer of VR and AR, builder of creative communities, previously director of creative, creative director of R&D at the ABC, was a researcher here at the UTS Creativity and Cognition Studios, where he got his honors degree. Viv is now the head of New Things at Choice. And you folks won't know, know this, but there's something about Viv that I can never forget, which is that I actually live in Australia because of Viv. Back in 2003, he requested me by name to be a mentor at the first Cross Media Lab, which was held in June of 2003 over at the MCA. And that led to me getting offered a role at the AFTRS, starting their new media program, and I never left. So as I have said many times, thank you, Viv. So what do you do exactly? Why don't you tell us? I've, I've had trouble with that. Yeah. There's a slide. So um, I brought three images. I cheated by packing another 16 into one of the images. <laughs> I do a lot of different things, but I guess I kicked off my career at the beginning of the web and the last VR wave of many VR waves that we continue to surf. Um, I'm, I try to bring ideas and potential together like most of us. I don't know. Um, you can see, I mean, I can talk about the work in more concrete terms. That's probably easier. Um, what you see here on the left is soon after Mark's intervention in my startup in 2003, later that year, we presented our work at SIGGRAPH, a giant kind of computer graphics and interactive techniques conference in the US. So that's a fully interactive, um, full resolution in 3D Earth delivered over the web. Um, we thought we had something there. <laughs> we managed to get some money from the Telstra Broadband Fund to put it together, and we spent all of our money building the tech, the demo, the product, which is a terrifyingly bad mistake, which I can get into. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, the conceit that I have, you know, the idea that you know, I'm later in my career and I have a lot of mistakes to share, I think is very true. I have <laughs> some really, I mean, we did a lot of things right with this 3D Earth project and a lot of things terrifyingly wrong as well. Um, and that's the kind of the core of it. Then there's a whole bunch of various creative projects I've been involved in. I've put, to, I put together a local version of SIGGRAPH, which is um, very successful through Asia now, SIGGRAPH Asia. Um, I've been involved in lots of academic conferences, apps, startups. One of my favorite things, if you go to shopping malls, you'll find these 3D scanning booths. Um, 
there's a lovely little a local company called Emport, and they had me in early on to help them kind of look at technical feasibility and market positioning. And I, I, they, they did all the work, but they did exactly what I asked them to, so I can claim credit for everything they did. <laughs> Which is that they position them in malls, they, you know, they target them at people who are already wearing Lycra because they come right out of the gym. There are all these kind of, and uh, you know, what, the, what technology they're using. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm basically a designer, so I work pretty hands-on with most of my things. Um, I won't go into all of these things. Um, I'll just show you two of my favorite things that I've done in the last 20 or so years. So this is a piece, um, and there's a video online on Vimeo. This is a piece we did at the ABC. I was there working on personalization and localization and then moved into the R&D. We took that into the R&D unit via this project. So this is a piece of design fiction, and it's, the idea is uh, that you could get a personalized ABC news feed on your coffee receipt in the morning. And we made um, this little design fiction video of that happening. And it was, so, and that was like looking at the ABC and what resources we had available to us. We had this l fantastic tiny R&D team inside. The ABC does R&D by accident. Like it's a billion dollar organization. They spend a million a year on R&D, which is a tenth of 1%. Um, <laughs> but they still do it. And we had these beautiful opportunities. Um, they have internal production resources, these great little camera crews that you can call on that will put videos together for you. And we, I did a casting call over Twitter and I got people to come in and we cyber-stalked them to see what they liked and put together a personalized newsfeed for each of these people. And we worked on it right up until the night before the shoot. And when they came in, they didn't know what they were gonna be doing. So we shot this video and they were getting this they experienced the full experience of the product vision, which was sitting down at a cafe, having this personalized newsfeed arrive on with your receipt and having it actually be customized and personalized to them. And at the time we were building, we had a kind of a, a capital works technology project. And what this did is it gave an idea to the teams that were working on that of where, like what the purpose of this might be beyond just an iteration on the existing, existing kind of ABC news apps and things like that. And then the work with choice yeah. that everyone loves so much, the augmented reality. So from the ABC I went briefly to do some other work at UTS and then um, choice uh, offered me this incredible opportunity to start a new unit there to help them discover new business models. So this is a 60 year old, um, organization, right? A non-profit that's been fighting for Australian consumer rights since 1959. Um, founded by uh, Ruby Hutchison, who you should look up. She was amazing. <laughs> um, but okay, so they started in 59 and they launched a magazine in 1960 and had the foresight to realize that magazines and publishing was going to be an industry and that it could support their work. So for the last 60 years, they've had this single business model, which is publish a magazine, which publishes the results of tests of appliances and products and things like that. Now in 2015, it was clear that maybe while that was still working, it might not have any growth left in it. So they're looking for what can, you know, what's a new approach, what's a completely fresh approach? And they gave me the opportunity to put together an autonomous unit. It's very important to be autonomous, this is a lesson, right? Inside choice to work differently. And 
one, uh, the first thing I saw when I arrived was they were getting huge amounts of traffic to this little PDF listing 60 brands of free-range eggs and which ones were really free-range and which... Because the, the label free-range in Australia still, to this day, unfortunately, can mean almost anything, right? Like, there, there's... Choice had research saying what people think free-range means and it means eggs, you know, eggs laid by chickens who are outdoors most of the time and have room to walk around and peck and, you know, on grass. Um, in Australia, it can mean ten, you know, one square metre in a barn and, you know, with a door so they could go outside, but they don't. Um, yeah, the free, it doesn't mean much. The CSIRO had a standard and Choice ranked 60 egg brands against this standard, against, you know, the, the thousands of brands that exist. But this little PDF, people were downloading it, laminating it, printing it out, taking it to the shops, right? You know, a few thousand people had done this. And when you see people jumping through hoops, doing difficult things to get something, there's a missing opportunity. You can, there's, you know, there's something you can jump on there. And so having come from the VR and AR world, the obvious thing to do at, you know, in 2015 was to launch an augmented reality app with the same underlying information. So we did that. I poached a um, wonderful developer from the ABC. We built the thing and from concept to, to shipping, shipping it in 10 weeks. And it immediately, you know, we, it worked like crazily well. Yeah, um, as we might hope and, so. And it's cute because you point it at a carton of eggs and you see either a few chickens who are very happy or a lot of chickens who are less happy. Yeah, so, yeah, if, if you point it at a good carton, you get a few chickens, you know. So a few hundred thousand people have downloaded this app. It's been used for more than two million egg purchasing decisions in the last couple of years. It's doing that job incredibly well. And the most interesting thing I think about it is we launched with 60 egg brands, but we also launched with the ability to add, if, if you're, you scan a carton and it fails, so it's image recognition and augmented reality. No big inventions, it was all off the shelf, but only just available. Um, but if you point it at a carton and it's not recognized, it asks you to contribute that carton to the database. So now we have oh, eight or 900 um, brands in there, 90% of the content in there is crowdsourced, and that, that took it from the early adopters to the mainstream. Okay, so when you were starting out, and I suppose when we met, you were probably roughly in your career where Simone is now. What do you wish you'd known back then that you know today? Well, okay. So many things, and um, all of the things that I still don't know, but the ones that I've figured out so far, um, if, if I look back at what I was trying to do with that 3D Earth project, so that was about three years before Google bought one of our competitors and launched that as Google Earth, right? Um, we, we had this dream of a, a user, like a user-generated read-write 3D Earth. And that's a big dream, and having that big dream was very valuable in recruiting incredible talent to my little crazy startup. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw that at that, like that worked, right? And the reason I had the kind of the chutzpah to say, us little three people are going to do this massive thing is because a few years earlier, in, in 1997, I went to the World Wide Web Conference, which happened to be that year in Brisbane, so I got my company to send me. And there was a session uh, by a couple of Stanford PhD students called Larry Page and Sergey Brin, and they were presenting their algorithm called Google. And I saw their session and I thought, nice algorithm, guys, good luck. Alta Vista has this sewn up. But, you know, a couple of PhD students are not going to 
change the world. But, you know, it was a cool algorithm. I figured they'd sell out. And they figured they'd sell out. If you look at any of the histories, they were trying to sell to Yahoo for a million bucks, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But that, you know, it, it is all it takes, right? It can be all it takes if you do it right. Uh, we didn't do it right, but it can. But, but that, like, the idea that a, a few people with an incredible idea can build something awesome is completely true and more true than thinking that you can do it with inside an incumbent most of the time. Okay, so, I mean, is that something that you learned along the way or is that something that you'd wished you'd known? Because I, I, what I'm trying to figure out is oh. where did you make your mistakes because there were things you didn't know? Yeah, so, so that was something I knew and I wouldn't throw away. But what I didn't know was that you can't get to the giant dream in one leap most of the time. Like, they didn't do that either. So what, what we tried to do was, like, we thought we can build te technology for our giant vision of a read-write geospatial web, right? right? Um, that idea was about five years before its time. It's still not here, right? Like Google, Map, Google Earth is still not read-write today. And, app, and if you look at the way Google is getting to a read-write geospatial web, they're getting there via maps, right? And then people contributing more and more to maps and they're making their proprietary thing. The way I have discovered later that the way to win is to build the thing the right size at each step. You, it's good to have that giant vision. It helps you recruit. It helps you stay focused on... And I'm still trying to build this thing, right? <laughs> but um, I'm now trying... What works is... I mean, we didn't get hundreds of thousands of people using our Planet Earth project. You know, we demoed it and people loved it on stage and nobody downloaded it because it didn't have a value proposition that meant anything to people. Clucker is an augmented reality single data point about free-range eggs, and it's been used two million times, right? If you, you start with... You start in a niche and you own it and you be the best possible thing that means something to people. So, like, have the grand vision and have meaningful wins along the way. Right. You so, no, it's the grand vision is the thing that allows you to select which points along that path that you're going to take. So if you don't have the grand vision, you have no idea how to pick those points. But if you have that grand vision, how do you have any sense of which points are the right points? How did you learn that as well? So I've been very slowly learning that. A lot of it's about, I mean, it, it's, it's about the world, right? So it's not about your vision. It's about how your vision intersects with where the world, what the world wants right now. <laughs> so you, you have to um, look for, you have to follow the audience, follow the data, follow what people are asking for, but keep your North Star in mind. What do you wish you knew today that you don't know? Right now? That's right now. a huge amount. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is a little tangential, but so my career has been from, you know, doing my own startup, working for 10 years as a, a consultant, trying to do kind of innovation inside a giant place. Like I'm looking for where is the point of most leverage, where you can make the most difference in the world. And so at the ABC, that's 5,000 people. You can Well, it's move. 24 million people, though, at yeah. the same time. Yeah, right? incredible reach, right? But your ability as a single contributor inside the ABC to influence the direction of the organization is very limited. But that little steer that you can give it can have a huge impact. And then I've been, I've been trying Choice, which is about 150 people, a few hundred thousand members and supporters. It's an organization where I can have more of an impact as the leader of a team. 
Um, and then, but the impact choice can have on the world is moderated. But what I've mostly learned is that it's very, very, it doesn't matter the size of the organization. Trying to change an organization is incredibly hard, right? And whether trying to change organizations is the way to change the world is very much something I'm struggling with. So if you could go back to your earlier self and give them one bit of advice, like in 2003 when we met, what would be that advice? I, I mean, I think I've said it. I, I, would, I would have said, pick, pick an audience that you can, with your current resources, so we had a few hundred thousand dollars, right? And we had a few very talented people and we had the internet, right? And so with the internet at the scale it was at then, which is very different to today. So I would have said, given those resources, and so I don't think, you know, this is something I need to teach Simone. She's figured it out. <laughs> she figured it out fast, way faster. Like, given your resources, what is the most meaningful win that you can have that will set you on your path? Like, what's, you know, what's, what's the small but important, like, so it, I wouldn't have said, try and break the giant vision down into chunks and complete a chunk, right? right? I would have said, break the giant vision into meaningful wins and complete a meaningful win and focus on that. Developing entrepreneurial skills is at the heart of the student experience at the University of Technology, Sydney. UTS students are creating their own jobs and starting their own companies through the flagship program, UTS Startups. Within its first year, the program has launched more than 200 student startups, and they're just getting started. Equipping students with the tools and expertise to become entrepreneurs, then connecting them to industry partners and the startup ecosystem is all part of their innovative approach. UTS is connecting thousands of talented students to industry and works closely with a network of partners to match students and their startups through their startup internship program. As a leading university of technology and Australia's number one young university, UTS is investing heavily in this future right now. UTS's inner city campus is also uniquely positioned in Sydney's thriving tech precinct to be the catalyst for digital and creative industries and the startup community. Join them on the journey building Australia's largest community of student entrepreneurs. Go to startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. All right, it's your turn, folks. Do you have, when we have microphones, do you have either questions for the folks on the panel or tell us in your own journey as a creative entrepreneur, what do you feel you need to know right now? Because that's actually really interesting too, because I want us all to be able to talk to one another about this. What are we trying to learn? And what, are, what mistakes are we trying to not make? So there's a whole level of questions there. First question over here. 
Short, concise questions, please. Uh, I'll do my best. Uh, so, well, if you could talk a little bit about the intersection between creativity and technology, I think that's really important, and especially when it comes to uh, experiences. So we're seeing more and more that people want to have an experience. I, I run an art centre, performing arts centre, but where the intersection between uh, creativity and technology and where that become, can become a beautiful thing in, in a creative experience. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're talking about, yeah, yeah, you're talking about that sweet spot, and that sweet spot's got to be an expression of the vision, right? I mean, it's got to be the beauty is coming from the expression of the vision, but it's always around as as both of you know. I mean, how do you know, for instance, when you were creating the octopus, right? How did you know when you had the right kind of playfulness because when I think of that I think of that as a work that's inviting people to come and bang on it right so how did I mean did it just sort of arrive fully formed or did that was that actually a lot of interaction design and failure and retrying things it's a lot of prototyping and failure and even when it's out in the public it, there's a lot of failure um, oh yeah anyone who's done any public art knows yeah that and, yeah and and I mean with that what's interesting is for me anyway, in my experience, you anticipate how people are going to interact with something, interact with one of your works, and it's completely different to what you anticipated. Yeah. Um, the street finds its own use for oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah ne never assume your audience is going to be the same people at the beginning of the show and the end of the show. That's also true. And we always often think that the audience is like us, and in fact, the audience tends to be completely different from us. Mm. And so the things that we might be striving for with beauty that we are seeing may not actually work for the audience because the audience doesn't have the same expectations for what's beautiful, right? Mm. Mm. But I'm, I mean, I guess on the question of tech and creativity, it, it's, it's a feedback loop, right? I mean, a, a lot of leading technology was built because artists demanded it. You know, computer vision was invented by Myron Kruger because he, he was determined he needed it for his artwork, right? Um, it, and that, that's, all that's electronic continue. music, you know, all synthesizers were built by people who wanted to use synthesizers for themselves. Look there. Hey, thanks for sharing. Um, I guess I had a question around um, uh, how to kind of keep these things sustainable, and I'm wondering. Um, how important it is not just um, kind of phasing work and, and kind of choosing how much you buy it off at a time, but how big a part of the strategy it is, especially in cases where, you know, a client might not be willing to pay for exactly what you want, how much you need to plan for getting repeat use out of those things that you make and how you kind of work like touring things into, into how you make it remunerative. Um, Sounds like it's a question that's aimed at you. For me? Okay. In a lot of ways, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you invest, and especially with art, you, you just you take a leap of faith. You, you create it, you, you invest all your time and, and money, I guess. It's a risk, and you just hope that it will be picked up. Um, and you, 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 you share it, but... It's a complete risk. Um, I, I, what I have been doing though is collecting data and, and looking at my return on investment as well. So I have been quite business-like about it, but um, definitely 
that's. But what qualifies as a successful return on investment? Is it just that it covers its costs, or does it have to have a certain amount of, of actual profit in there before you'll actually consider it, in some sense, successful in that respect? Yeah, so it has to, it has, so I have some artworks that have had 15 shows after its initial inception, and then some that only have two. Um, so we, we debrief as to why this work was more successful than another work. And, and I guess success is a funny word, but um, we, it, it, it is when it starts making profit after the amount of time and, and costs that went into making the work. Yeah, that is money success, I guess. There's a, there's a, a kind of a strategic success that you can go for as well, I think, where if you think of each work as kind of an audition for the next work, yep. that, that if you're trying to grow, grow your work and grow your impact, you know, just, and, and it comes back to that question before, how much time do you need to spend thinking about the next pitch? And I think it's all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, I got like, and it's insane what people come, I had a, someone come to us on Friday for an idea on Monday and they had $400,000 and they give you 48 hours and so you go, okay, let me think creatively. You know, it's ins that's the industry I'm in. They're insane. So you start, you know, you start collecting these ideas and trying to adjust them and flesh them out. But it's madness. Oh, so I know a hack that I wrote down when we were talking about it earlier. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you're in this, you know, you're, you're, you're in the making headspace or you're in the collaboratives headspace or you're trying to think about the business side of things, how do you move your head around, right? Yes, yes, so how do you do that, Viv? Um, I, d I found this out in my PhD work. So <laughs> there are the four or five or six, depending who you ask, P's of creative work. There's things like people process, place, press, all of these things, the context for creative work, if they, they make the creative space that you're in. So just have, move your physical self to a different space, right? So like, and, and by, by a different place, it can be a place with different people in it, a place with different, you know, high ceilings will help you think more, more openly. Yeah, don't, don't try and do the different types of work in the same room. And, and to have the rituals when you're moving between the spaces, and they can be formal or informal rituals, but that, that, that's a psychological technique that actually helps you switch the gears in your own head, right? And that's, you know, it's a bit of mind play, but it ends up being very effective around that. Next question. So, I'm, I'm just wondering now, Simone, you've got Viv here. Yes. If he's, in some sense, and I mean in some sense your future self, <laughs> what question do you want to ask him? Um, so, you've managed a lot of, like, very talented people in one space on one project, so creative collaborations. What are the key things that you did to make it work and successful that everyone feels that they are part of something? Uh, autonomy is, you know, is what every artist needs to work, so... How much autonomy is the right amount of autonomy? It, it depends who you've got, right? <laughs> so, but the how, first, so how do you know, though? That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's the, the first hard trick, thing, right? I mean, I cheat by getting the best possible people, right? That yep. is the biggest lever you've got. So if you find people who share the ultimate vision and who know how to get there, then you give them, you know... It, Everyone has to agree to the vision, right, up front. And if they're in, they're in. If they're on the bus, they're on the bus. And then you give them the room to deliver. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. It's the only trick I know. There's probably better tricks, but that's my one. Um, any other questions in the room? You're all completely sated. You don't have any burning questions or even a comment about some difficulty that you're facing in your own process as a creative entrepreneur that you want to take to us. Or, or something that you know that I, I need to know that I don't know yet. Please tell me it. Ah, there we go. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> but just let, let, but let's just wait for the microphone. Thank you. No uh, yeah, this is for Simone. Uh, comment rather than a question. Uh, I work in the public art field and... Um, can you hear? Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, just a recommendation that you reach out, if you haven't done it already, to all the public arts officers in local government. Because, yep. you know, you're talking about before, how can I make my own work and then, you know, what, what I want to do and then sell it to, to other people. Um, if you're already in touch with all the public art officers out there in local government, you can have those conversations with them. And I think if you build relationships, um, that's going to be uh, a really key because they commission a lot of the work. Yeah. So it's going to be a key thing to do. And this comes back to that balancing act for both of you about how much time do you spend building the relationships which are absolutely important for exactly the reasons that you've made. And every working artist has to be embedded in a network of strong relationships because that's where the business side of it shows. Mm. So, so how, do you, how do you reckon you're going to balance that as you move forward? Conversations. Um, <laughs> reading. I, I actually, it's, it's probably the biggest challenge I have balancing that. Um, I like the idea of changing spaces. I think I, think I will take that on. Um, yeah. I actually have another question for you, Viv. Um, you've, you've, you sort of seem, like for me, I view you as a visionary who sees trends and moves and changes careers. What, what, like, uh, what makes you move and change? What, like, you know, because you're doing one thing for a little bit, little bit of time and then is there like a sudden click that you have to change or you have to move? What instigates that? It, I guess it's a... Sometimes it's a question of diminishing returns, right? So at the, I guess I'm an early stage person. I get the most impact when I'm... And, and it's probably different for everybody. So I, I make the most difference in the early stages of something. I'm most effective there. I'm not really good at running things when they're established, which is... A little tricky no, a choice the, now. I'll correct you. You get bored. Yeah. All right. I think we. I just need to sort of correct that because I've seen this. Right. It's not. It's not that you're not good at it. You are still good at it, but it doesn't give you the kind of juice that you get from being at something when it's emerging. Like that's where your artistic eye is focused. Yeah. So I. I just can't help myself. I don't know if it's healthy. <laughs> it's just what I have to do. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's all thank Simone Chua and Vivica Wiley. Thanks as well to the UTS Innovation and Entrepreneurship Unit. They're empowering the next generation of entrepreneurs right here at UTS. You can learn more about the UTS Creative Industries Hub by visiting creativeindustries.uts.edu.au. My name is Mark Pesci, and thank you for joining us this afternoon. We hope you all learned something. Thank you.
strong online presence is non-negotiable in today's market. Whether it's your primary location for sales and trade, or you just want to have some key information online so people can discover your business, your website is the core of your online brand. And when it comes to choosing a domain name for your website, there are now countless options of domain extensions to choose from. But if you're looking for a domain that is short, SEO-friendly, global, and truly supports your business, go with .co. .co is the domain name for innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, and creators growing their extraordinary ideas online. With more names available than any other legacy namespace, .co is for everyone who is hustling hard and building something awesome. With freebies, resources, and tools for startups available even to those without a .co domain, check out www.go.co slash twista today and find the perfect .co domain for your big idea. .co where big ideas belong on the web. With over 20 years experience as a creative entrepreneur, there were a few bits of wisdom we heard from Viv Wiley that seem particularly relevant to every entrepreneur, whether they're a creative entrepreneur or not. First one of those is have the grand vision, but have meaningful points along the way. In other words, it's good. You need the big idea. You need that to inspire people. You need that to get great talent, but you also need to give them a roadmap that gets them there by degrees. And if you don't have that map, you need to stop and iterate and find the product market fit and find those stepping stones along the way. And you can't move forward until you have that map because you're not done. As he said, it's not about your vision. It's about how your vision intersects with what the world wants right now. And you can see this in the difference between what he was trying to achieve with his Global Earth project and what he was achieving with his Cluck AR project, which was small, it was modest, it was easy to do, and yet it was taken up because it was something that people really wanted. But he left us with something very important. He said, keep your North Star in mind. In other words, you will lose your way unless you have a clear idea of where you're heading, unless you can keep that in front of you, and unless you can point to it so that others can see it and join you on the journey. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Pitney Bowes, UTS Startups, and .co. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to the studio at Winyard Green for providing the amazing facility where we record this week in Startups Australia. It's the place for creative tech. Find out more at thestudio.org.au. Thanks to Simone Chua and Vivica Wiley for making the time to come on our show. Thanks to Remix and UTS for granting permission to use the recording of our session. Now, last year, we rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back in a week looking at one of the fastest growing areas in startup land, RegTech, and we'll have a conversation with the founder of one of Australia's fastest growing RegTech startups. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. <laughs>